Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and the real power in the Captain and Tennille, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar and creature feature, Noelle LaCroix. And we're here today to talk about Ted, the 11th episode of season two. Ted aired on December 8th, 1997 and was written by David Greenwald and Joss Whedon and directed by Bruce Seth Green. This is the last episode of Buffy to air in 1997. A warning before we begin, every episode of Still Pretty talks about each episode within the greater context of all of Buffy, and as such, is fully spoiled. All right, someone sound an air horn because we're going on patrol. In Ted, Buffy comes home from a night out with Willow and Xander to find Joyce smooching her new boyfriend, Ted, in the kitchen. He talks tech with Willow and feeds Xander amazing mini pizzas, winning them both over immediately. Buffy isn't as easily charmed and takes her irritation out on the vampires. People are perfectly happy getting along, and then vampires come, and they run around, and they kill people, and they take over your whole house. They start making these stupid little mini pizzas, and everyone's like, I like a mini pizza, but I'm telling Uh, you, I have... I believe the subtext here is rapidly becoming a text. Ted invites Buffy and her friends out for a day of mini-golf, and while he seems perfect to everyone else, Buffy is not impressed. When Buffy takes a bad shot and Ted catches her cheating, she sees another side to him that isn't so great. Right, it's just a game, do your own thing. Well, I'm not wired that way, and I'm here to tell you it is not a game. It does count, and I don't stand for that kind of malarkey in my house. I guess it's a good thing I'm not in your house. Do you want me to slap that smart-ass mouth of yours? Buffy tells Joyce about Ted's behavior at the mini-golf course, and she dismisses Buffy's complaint while eating Ted's amazing sticky buns. Buffy asks Willow for help looking into Ted and visits his workplace to snoop, where she hears that Ted's getting married in two months. When she confronts Ted about it at dinner, he lays down the law. Buffy sneaks out to go patrolling, but when she crawls back in through her bedroom window, she finds Ted sitting there in the dark, waiting for her. You've been going through my things? Yes, I have. That's my personal property. How dare you? I don't see how it's any different from you snooping around my office, do you? What exactly is a vampire slayer? Ted takes a hard line with Buffy and then hits her. She hits him back, and they trade punches for a bit before she kicks him down the stairs. Joyce runs down after Ted and makes a shocking discovery. You killed him. Buffy confesses to the cops that she hit him and he fell down the stairs, but it was self-defense. She and Joyce share a silent ride home, and the next day at school, people stare and whisper. Xander asks what kind of monster Ted was, and Buffy says he was just a human. He was a person. The Scoobies gather in the library to research Ted and find something in his past that will clear Buffy. Xander, who was angry and upset about Ted, starts eating the cookies Ted made, and suddenly he's happy and positive. Willow grabs the cookie from him and has it tested, discovering that it was drugged. What do we know? Well, apparently the secret ingredient is not love. Cordelia finds Ted's home address, and the Scoobies rush off to investigate. While Buffy's dealing with her personal trauma... Giles takes over patrolling. Jenny follows him to the park to apologize for being mean to him earlier, but a vampire interrupts. During the fight, Jenny accidentally shoots Giles in the side with a crossbow, and they reunite. After trying to talk to Joyce and getting nowhere, 
Buffy tries to sneak out the window only to find it nailed shut. But that's not the biggest surprise of the night. Well, it's official. This day can't get any worse. Beg to differ. Ted attacks Buffy and they fight. His robotic nature becomes clear as he starts to glitch out. He knocks Buffy out and goes to fetch Joyce. At his house, the Scoobies discover that he's been married a bunch of times and all the dead wives are tucked away in his closet. At the house, Ted glitches again while trying to kidnap Joyce and he knocks her out too. Buffy wakes up and takes him out with a frying pan. Everyone is horrified, except maybe Willow. There were design features on that robot, the pre Willow, tell me you didn't keep any parts. Not any big ones. All right, so, Noelle. Yeah. I don't want to talk about this episode. Can we talk about anything else? I know you don't want to talk about this episode. Oh, God. Uh, (laughs) You know, I'm not even sure. Like, uh, you know, Ted has always been hailed as, like, one of the really, really bad Buffy episodes. And I'm not even sure that it's bad. But because of personal experience, uh, it, it it touches a little close to home for me. Sure. And I find it really hard to look at it with objectivity. So I'm going to do my best. But, <laughs> but I'm not sure how well I'm going to be able to either analyze or talk about this episode. Well, that's all right. Um, because I actually really like this episode. I mean, it's, oh, it's vile. Like, he yeah. is vile. Um, yeah. But I like it for being... So I like it just feels really well done to me from a storytelling perspective. I love how smoothly Ted goes from being too nice in a way that feels creepy to being genuinely creepy, um, knowing yeah. Buffy's mm-hmm. grades and saying some kind of inappropriate things to her to being actually abusive. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it escalates really, really well that to the the point that when she says no, is when he mm-hmm. finally strikes her. Um, yeah. It's just, he's gross and chilling. And it's a great story about, well, I want to say toxic masculinity, but but it's a great story about a lot of things. It's a great story about relationships and where feelings go when people get mm-hmm. involved. I, I don't know. I dig it. I think it's a great episode of television. Um, I think mm-hmm. he's a genuinely creepy antagonist yeah um Mm -hmm. but for my money the most terrifying monster is always the human looking monster that's always the scariest thing to me um and i'm reminded actually of one of the first episodes of the x-files that had a monster of the week that was not actually a monster yeah Mm -hmm. he was just a bad guy um Mm -hmm. and this would have been a couple of years before uh ted aired Mm -hmm. but the show made uh, the X-Files made this villain fit into their paranormal space by having his victims see him in shadow as a monster who I'm pretty <laughs> sure was modeled after the devil. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a fascinating idea that we have to have something. There has to be something there, some little twist. You know, Ted mm-hmm. is a robot. To give us the opportunity to explore, you know, Buffy and her Slayer powers and what happens when she uses that strength against a human. But Mm -hmm. he's also a robot who, I mean, it's, I don't, okay, what am I trying to say here? He's a robot so that we can really, really dig deep into this level of 
toxicity and abuse and predatory behavior that I think if mm-hmm. he were just a bad guy wouldn't yeah. wouldn't be a good fit for the show. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's the whole thing, too, about Buffy is that it takes reality and puts it in metaphor, you know? Um, what for me is is weird about this episode is that um, it's, I think, the first time, I think the first time that we're bringing a sci-fi element, you know, because sci-fi is about the scientifically possible imagined as real. Mm-hmm. What if this happens? Like, what if we, you know, progress far enough with robotics that you can create something that seems human, you know, yeah. um, and what happens there, you know? And um, and so I think that that's an interesting question, but we're putting it within this context of Buffy that is paranormal, that uses, you know, the fantasy um, element to talk about the impossible and trans translate that into an emotional metaphor. Um, You know, what we have here with this sort of sci-fi, you know, um, perspective on it, it always feels to me like a bad fit with Buffy when we do this. We do this, we have another robot that'll be coming in season five in the episode I was made to love you, um, which is a different kind of robot. She's very powerful and she is extremely dangerous, but you can sympathize with her. She is as much a victim, you know, of the thing that created her. Mm -hmm you know, as the people that she is victimizing in that episode. And here we have Ted, who is not vulnerable, not sympathetic at all, you know, mm-hmm. um, who is is giving us through this sci-fi mechanism um, a fantasy metaphor. It's speaking about like the kind of abusive relationships where somebody comes in and they charm everybody and they seem perfect, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, underneath, it's a monster. You know, and it takes a while when you know you're under the effects of that to actually see the monster for the the reality to become visible. We see it become visible, you know, with Buffy when when he starts to glitch out in that final fight, and we see the the monster, the smoking, you know, um, chips and and mm-hmm. wires and stuff underneath. You know, um, <clears throat> so for me, like I, I think it's actually a fairly accurate representation although in a much you know like shorter time frame um for that kind of predatory person who comes into your life makes you think they're one thing when in reality they are something else you know something much much darker um so i think that it actually works pretty well in in relaying that but sci-fi used in in metaphor um you know i think I don't know if that's my problem or if it's that we've got these sci-fi elements that are within a fantasy story um, that sci-fi and fantasy, do they not work well together? Do they not mix well together? Are they difficult? Do they kind of work against each other in the ways those stories usually function? I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it does feel out of place to me in the story. That said... I think narratively, yeah, Ted has some strengths. And I'm so glad that you love it because usually what happens is everybody hates Ted and everybody hates on Ted, yeah. you know? Um, and uh, and so, like, my, my feelings about it are so, like, I really don't enjoy watching this episode, you know, because of my personal experience with uh, Ted, you yeah. know, like a reality, a real Ted, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that 
I think that the story itself is is pretty good, and the only real problem that I have with it is that that weird robot space within the Buffy universe, which is all you know about magic and the paranormal and things that don't have a scientific basis, mm-hmm. and because I don't engage, I think with science fiction as much as I do with other genres, I've thought about it less. So I haven't really had had um, the opportunity to dive into it and kind of take it apart and see how it works, why it works. I know that fantasy works on this, this metaphorical space. It takes magic and uses that to tell, you know, to bring reality into, you know, um, a, a, a paranormal and a, and a um, kind of exaggerated space. And sci-fi, I've always kind of felt is the, you know, like the what if, mm-hmm. you know, the like, if this happens, how, how does that work? And, yeah. and less of of a metaphor for those emotional experiences. So um, so I'm not really sure how I feel about that. It feels somewhat at odds with Buffy to me. Did it feel that way to you? Maybe just a bit. Um, mm-hmm. I really... I really liked what the show was doing, though, in terms of building the tension around Ted and Buffy's point of view versus everyone else's, you know, glowing, you know, love and appreciation for him. And, oh, he's just the best. Um, I think for me, the the reason that this works, even though it's, I guess, technically a sci-fi story, Mm -hmm. is that I feel like what we're doing is referencing we're sort of referencing the fantasy space in that the the sci-fi components are really um tools to get us into the mental emotional space yeah Mm -hmm. we're using the technology as um you know our access point so we and and in this case i mean it might as well be magic Right. I mean, yeah, it's, it's right. Mm-hmm. Technology. Well, sufficiently advanced technology, you know, presents as magic. Mm-hmm. It's Arthur C. Clarke. Um, but it is something that is technological in nature, mm-hmm. that is scientific in nature. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that feels out of place in Buffy for me. But I am not sure. Like my reaction to this episode is so wound up in like my personal feelings about that experience, mm-hmm. that particular experience, yeah. you know, um, that that I'm not sure if I'm responding to that negatively because it doesn't belong there or if I'm responding to it negatively because we're not used to that mix yeah. of sci-fi and fantasy. Um, so I would really love to hear from listeners about their thoughts on, on how all of that works together because I haven't spent a lot of time thinking that deeply about sci-fi as a genre. It's not one of my go-tos because I tend to really like the emotional stories better. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have emotional stories in sci-fi. You absolutely can. Mm-hmm. People do it all the time, you know. Um, but uh, but it's just not something that is my go-to genre. And because I haven't had as much experience with it or thought about it that deeply, I don't feel like really prepared to make a clear statement on, on what I think about it, just that I, I have these questions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the last time we got anything kind of sci-fi adjacent was Some Assembly Required. Right. And that, Mm -hmm. again, was a story about relationships and connection and cheating death, really. And what happens Mm -hmm. when, oh gosh, what happens when we um, resist what is going on in our lives and in our relationships Mm -hmm. and you know what is it like I love it's so clunky 
when yeah. Xander swoops in at the end and explains to us what happened, how Ted the robot came to be, all of these things. Yes. And I have a, a sort of a nerdy film confession, which is I absolutely love it because I think it's a reference to Psycho. It very much uh-huh. reminds me of the end of Psycho, where we've had all of this scary shit go down, and then we swoop in, and a psychologist come just comes in at the end, and is like, well, Norman Bates mm-hmm. is this way because of these reasons, and it's just like mm-hmm. neatly wrapped up at the end for us. But prior right. to that, we get this experience as viewers of, oh my God, this is so wild. This is crazy. What's going on? I don't understand. You know, and it's that mm-hmm. that emotional roller coaster of feeling um, very on edge <laughs> with respect to yeah. the story and where it's going. So at the end of, of Ted, Xander tells us exactly what happened that Ted, mm-hmm. you know, this guy, this guy's wife left him. And I guess he was and yes. he was dying and he built a robot. To replace him. Yeah. To bring her back. And like it's it really is sci-fi as a vehicle for human emotions and human experiences Mm -hmm. of grief and loss and wanting to be connected. But of course, this robot, this particular robot is wired in this really gnarly, gross, masculine way. I mean, yeah, real Ted makes a robot. Ted, whose entire Mm -hmm. objective is to maintain the status quo, literally kidnapping women because husband and wife is forever. Right. Creepy. Creepy. Yeah. And his whole, uh, the idea of this robot having this very strong moral sense of right is right. You know, like these are the things that are right. These are the things that are wrong. And he plays that hard line, Yeah, you know, and I found it kind of interesting that, that we're here. We are using this, this robot who is making moral and ethical judgments, about what the right thing is and what the wrong thing is, you know, right is right while he's doing all the wrong things, while he's drugging people, Mm -hmm. you know, while he's, he's, you know, working Joyce, while he's being abusive to Buffy, um, you know, and it's, and it all comes from, you know, his, like, it feels like a very kind of cold power calculation, you Mm -hmm. know, he doesn't think Buffy has any power. So when he's alone with her, like, that's when he shows his true self. Yes. But Joyce has the power to, you know, say no to him or to try to resist him. So he's still charming Joyce. And, you know, the other kids, he's getting them on his side so that he can, you know, be abusive at home, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Throwing on that charm, all of that stuff, and and then actively drugging everybody. And Buffy, of course, refused to eat any of his food. Yeah. So she's the one who maintains, like, clarity on it. She is not sucked in by all the charm, you know? Um, yeah, and I love that connection of like that's yeah. so creepy. The connection of food mm-hmm. and his, yeah. you know, the way he like works his way into their lives mm-hmm. and how yep. quickly and easily that that happens. I yep. love that. That just feels so. Um, I don't know. It feels so correct in a lot of ways. Probably yeah, it's, I mean, it's poison delivered through something that is supposed to be nourishing and caring, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. which is how abusive personalities yeah. work. Yeah. And he is, you know, it's it's supposed to be it's supposed to be loving and caring. I mean, 
I've heard it said that you don't bake cookies for somebody you don't like. So yeah, <laughs> that that feels particularly um it feels especially icky the idea of using food against people in that yeah. way especially because presumably he doesn't need to eat like that yeah but we see him eating quite a bit so that's kind of weird like he created a robot that can digest a like those baby alive babies <laughs> <laughs> did you have one of those that you fed and then the gross food would work its way through the baby and eventually she'd poop <laughs> i never had one of those babies but i always wanted one <laughs> i had a pooping baby i did it was really uh very exciting Oh, everyday <laughs> sexism, so fun. Oh, Marketed, right. to, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but I love. I mean, speaking of speaking of food and the way that it plays yes. through this episode, I love that that the first thing he's doing in the kitchen is he's working with that cast iron skillet, and then of course it's the cast iron skillet that Buffy uses to whack him in the face that finally takes him out yeah. you know and she says this is my house which i just right. love but then at the in the little in the little coda with joyce and buffy on the porch they're eating mm -hmm. snap peas which yeah. of course are not a a, a human made thing they're naturally occurring mm -hmm. you can pull a snap pea off a vine and eat it mm -hmm. and i love the idea that they're like re feeding themselves after all of this toxicity that they're eating something that was not created by mm -hmm. a man or a, <laughs> a or a, a monster robot as the case may be um yes. and th that is part of how they're going to recover from this experience together although they can't really recover in the same way because i guess Joyce never knows that Ted was a robot like, yeah what? Because we have this kind of thing at the end where, you know, Buffy's like, he's on the scrap heap, the scrap heap of life, yeah. you know. And, <laughs> and so I thought about that. I was like, it, it seems weird that Joyce uh, doesn't know mm -hmm. that, you know, that she's just kind of like, who, who cleared out the body? Like, Joyce was knocked out. I'm, I'm guessing that Buffy just dragged his body body out and like you know sent him and told Joyce that she just sent him on his way or, and then yeah. they called the police and obviously they found the dead bodies of the other wives because they were talking about that yeah. um yeah the whole thing is um is a little bit it feels a little bit strange but I guess Joyce is you know she is this this circle of mundanity right she is the space where all the weirdness does not touch so if she knew that he was a robot and that a robot looking like a man was even possible yeah. like that would broaden that mundane space it would bring it would it would it would kind of you know mix the boundaries there and i think we're trying to keep those boundaries fairly clear mm -hmm. for buffy that joyce is the representation of the mundane regular life yeah you know and everything else is the weird freaky shit yeah you know um so i thought that that was i mean i think it maintains those boundaries you know mm -hmm. fairly well um but also is uh feels a little strange that joyce would have no idea what actually happened because she did before he knocked her out she saw him glitch yeah you know yeah which i mean disturbing <laughs> it's mm -hmm. so disturbing yeah. um yeah i i yeah i don't know joyce though in this episode really it 
I have I have a lot of problems with Joyce in this episode. I have a lot of problems with Joyce too, but I feel like I I judge Joyce really harshly in this episode. Um because I judge myself really harshly having been the Joyce, mm. you know, in that situation. Um so like I I I don't know that I've got clarity. So I'd love to hear what your okay. thoughts are on that. So Joyce bothers me a lot in this episode because mm-hmm. she isn't really written as a mother here or really yeah. every, you know, anywhere. Like it seems rare on the show thus far that she really um, behaves in a way that I would expect a parent to behave. Yeah. I mean, she's known Ted for what, like three weeks and she's known yeah. Buffy since she grew Buffy inside her body. I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I know, I know teenagers are challenging. I have a tween and who boy. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's no sense of relationship between Joyce and Buffy, you know, drugs or no drugs. Like they don't, they don't behave in the way that I would expect to see a single mother of a teenager relate Mm -hmm. to this this person um we get Mm -hmm. the remark about joyce being a single parent but it's in this kind of i don't know like there's not there's not any weight to it and i don't feel the weight of the buffy joyce relationship she's Mm -hmm. still i mean i understand that from a writing standpoint for the show she's still much more of an obstacle for buffy than she is a parent figure. and she is often like written that way but you know like i i see joyce you know mm-hmm. the brainwashing the you know thinking he's so perfect um you know hoping to restore like that normalcy because as a single parent you feel like you've failed your kids somehow when you're in that situation i mean i hope that most people don't because you haven't but you feel that way like mm-hmm. i know i felt that way and um, and so there's a lot of things about about that that's appealing, not the least of which is when you're a single parent, you're doing everything by yourself all the time. The idea of having somebody there to help you, you know, is also really appealing. Like there's a lot of stuff in there that like I completely understand. So like I look at Joyce in this episode and I think, yeah, I remember I remember what that was like, mm-hmm. you know, um, and also judge her so harshly for it because, you know, here is Buffy saying, I am uncomfortable with this. I don't like this. You know, you're bringing this person that I don't know into my life, you know, um, and it shows like her, her lack of consideration for Buffy. So for me, I don't, it's just, it's so hard. I can't see it clearly. I can't look at it clearly. I just, I absolutely hate Joyce in this episode and I'm not sure that's fair. Well, I think it, I think it's fair, but I think it's fair for mm-hmm. a different reason than the reason that you're citing. Okay. I mm-hmm. think, I think it's bad writing. Um, I think it's too, they're, they're ignoring. It feels to me watching it as a parent, like they're ignoring some essential parent child dynamics um, yeah. and if the, if the idea is to talk about, you know, abusive relationships and how those work and mm-hmm. how those twist a person's mind and how, you know, Joyce immediately sides with Ted on everything, yeah. um, mm-hmm. then I think that needed to be hit a little bit harder, but as it's, as it's done, it's just, oh, well, you know, she's 
there there are drugs in the food <laughs> and those need to be yeah. some pretty mm-hmm. potent drugs and or yeah. or else i mean it, there's some rad robot sex going on off camera <laughs> You know, it's entirely possible. If he perfected a lot of things, he might have perfected that. They too. do call him the machine at work. They do call him the uh-huh. machine. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, yeah. Joy- Joyce is is troubling in this episode. Yeah. And I think that, that part of it is that a big piece of her pro-Ted position is he mm-hmm. cares about you just like I do. Yeah, but we haven't really seen a lot of that care from Joyce mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. until this point. You know, if Joyce and Buffy had had this like really solid parent-child relationship, maybe with the strain of you know Buffy has this secret that she's not telling her mother, and mm-hmm. Joyce is worried about her and doesn't really know how to express that. Okay, um, mm-hmm. but up until this point, we haven't seen Joyce really tune in to Buffy in a way that would suggest that she cares deeply about her child. Right. We don't get much. I mean, you're right. Joyce is written to be an obstacle and written to represent the mundane world that Buffy can't entirely be a part of. Um, But even aside from that, we don't see a lot of, we don't see even mundane closeness between them. They're talking about watching a movie together at the end and they're sitting there eating the snap peas. And that is a moment, but we haven't had a lot of that in the first, you know, season and a half that we've had so far of Buffy. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I think when Joyce bought her the dress, you yep. know, the, for Prophecy Girl, like that was one of those moments. But we don't see them really um, connecting, you know, as people. We don't see them being close. Not the way that we see Buffy being close with Giles. Yeah. You know, we don't see anywhere near as much of that <laughs> kind of, of, you know, caring, loving, parental relationship with Joyce that we even get with Giles. Giles is much more you know, of a, of a connection with an emotional connection for Buffy than Joyce ever is. Mm -hmm. So when we have, you know, Joyce written mainly as, um, as a narrative obstacle rather than a character and a relationship, then it's hard to kind of see all of that while we're in this moment with her, you know, it's hard to, um, it's hard to see, like, you don't see any sense and granted she's drugged, yeah. you know, and when you're, when you're in a relationship like that, it is like a drug It is like, it, it you know, it sounds stupid, but it's like mind control. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's creepy, you know? Um, and when you're in it, the world doesn't look the same, you know, but Joyce isn't behaving that much different to Buffy than she no, usually does. No, she's not. Right. And I think that, yeah. I think that is, you just hit the nail on the head for me. She's not that mm-hmm. different. The way in which yeah. she's different is that she's firmly on Ted's side so much that she allows Ted to say some really inappropriate things to and about yeah. Buffy. When they're at miniature golf and he makes the remark about, oh, the boys must be lined up around the block to get a date with you. I'm like, uh, Mm-hmm. Excuse yeah. me, like on no planet, on no planet is that okay? Even if yeah. this, mm-hmm. if this was your stepchild, you would not be saying that. That is a, well, you should like be. no, yeah. no, you should. But <laughs> some people would. Some people would. <laughs> some people would. And I like I yeah. And that's the thing that I that I love hate about this relate this this mm-hmm. episode is that yeah, Ted 
separate from, you know, ignoring the fact that he's a robot, because we don't know for certain that he's a robot for most of the episode, yeah. although it's beautifully mm-hmm. foreshadowed. Well done there. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. But people, like, people really are this gross. And people really yeah. do say things like that to kids who are ostensibly <laughs> under their care. Yeah. And it's just, oh, mm-hmm. oh. Yeah, he's disturbing and I love it because it's so well done and it pushes all my buttons in that really like icky way. But the fact yeah. <laughs> the fact that he says that to Buffy yeah. and everyone there, especially Joyce, acts like this is a totally normal, fine thing for him to say. I'm like, right. that's where I'm like, nope, like I'm out. Right. But they're all under the influence. Yeah. You know, he has drugged them you know and i love the way that we get that later with xander (laughs) right you know um xander first of all i love the way that xander is so he loves ted ted's wonderful but the (laughs) second it comes down to like this guy hurt buffy yeah even though buffy like killed him in that moment xander was like nope this guy's a creep we're gonna find out what's going on and then he eats the cookie and he's just so and and willow of course being wonderful Instantly grabs the cookie and is like, aha, yeah. that's the thing, you know. Uh, Willow in this is fantastic. Of course, Willow is pretty much universally fantastic all the way through the show. Um, but I I love how smart she is. I love that she's able to test the thing and figure out what's in the cookie. Um, you know, I love even at the end with her thing where like, I just kept some of the parts. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I love just, it. Just some little ones. <laughs> yes, just a couple of little uh-huh. ones. It's fine. I, I just want to advance the science. I just want to learn. You know, which I absolutely Her love. defense is, I just want to learn. It's so... I know. Like, I know. It's so sweet. Baby. It's so sweet. And I love, of course, you know, like Lonnie's technology moment. All right. So oh, um, so we have Willow in the beginning where she's like, I like my nine, nine, new nine gig hard drive. And I was like, wow, nine gigs. <laughs> That's adorable. (laughs) But at the time, though, that was serious. I mean, at the time, uh, about this time, maybe like a year or two earlier, I bought my first laptop that had a 25 megabyte hard drive. And I was like, how am I ever going to fill this up? You know, Um, it was so nine gigs at that time was like, huge. you know. And she's so excited about the disc. And he gives her the little discs wrapped up in a rubber band. Oh, my God. So cute. Oh, my God. I remember her that. Her little squeal of delight at the offer of free <laughs> upgrades. Hey, look, I identify oh, with that. Yeah. But that noise <laughs> that comes out yeah. of Allison Hannigan, like, I forget that she's acting. Mm-hmm. It's such yeah. a great little moment of delight. That I just, I mean, I almost want you to play a clip of it because it's so good. You can. I get the demos for free. I don't see why I shouldn't give them to you for the same price. Any friend of Buffy's. <laughs> what? That's the sound she makes when she speaks us with geeker joy. So we have, so you mentioned Xander. Yes. And I was reminded of your theory yes. about Xander and it's specifically good Xander versus shadow Xander. There are light mm-hmm. Xander versus shadow Xander that the best Xander we get happens in episodes where we have super toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and that we get the worst Xander in episodes written by Joss Whedon. Yes. And here we have, here we both. have both. So we can test this theory. I actually quite like Xander 
in this episode. But also, Joss Whedon wrote it with David Greenwald. Yeah, true. So somebody was somebody was there kind of like working <laughs> with that material. So there may have been a Greenwald effect, you know, on this one. Um, but overall, I mean, you know, Xander, um, I, I like him. He is a little bit, you know, there's like that moment where he completely, you know, Ted shows up at the school. He completely overrides Buffy's discomfort. Oh, of course, we're going to go to mini golf, yes. you know, and he forces that situation, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't exactly, you know, care for a lot. Um, but overall, I think that, you know, I love how supportive he was of Buffy. I love that he he was on Buffy's side firmly, yes. you know, like when it came down to it. Um, and so I don't know, like, what did you think about Xander? I love some of the Xander that we get. I love the way he asks Buffy, what was he? Because he's just, yeah. he knows immediately that if she yes. killed him, well, obviously he right. was a monster. He was a monster. And yes. he's not questioning mm-hmm. that for a minute. Um, yeah. And I love... I so love Willow. You are the best human ever. I adore you. Well, that's the cookies talking, but you rock. Just it's it's so dear. It's so great. And I love I love the way he's gesturing with the cookie as he's talking. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's part of, you know, that's a great way to call out Willow figuring out that, oh, it's in the cookies. But right. and mm-hmm. finding the literal skeletons in Ted's closet. I mean, yes, go Xander. <laughs> and then. Well, I love that moment, yeah. too. Like, he goes into the closet. He opens the door. He closes the door. He gets them mm-hmm. out of there. And they're like, well, what was in the closet? Yeah. Like, the first four yeah. wives. He's like, and he's like, all right, we've got it. We've got our evidence. We don't need yeah. to spend any more time here. And he gets them out of there rather than yeah. calling them over to have them look at whatever, you know. Exactly. Horribleness is you over know. there. He just yeah. He takes care of of Willow yeah. and Cordelia, and also Xander and Cordelia, kind of adorable. Oh my god! Oh my dear god! <laughs> I love I love the Xander and Cordelia that we get in this episode. I so. know. You want to go make out in the closet? Sure. Yeah. And she like like roll is about to roll her eyes at him, and she's like, okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, so good. No, I love so that. So good. And I love that moment in the in the library where Cordelia is like, I thought you liked him. And Xander says, I sometimes like things that aren't good for me. <laughs> <laughs> so we have we have some really good self-aware Xander, too. We do. We really, do. I really, I like it's it. It's very, very cute. But we also have some not so great Xander. Um, mm-hmm. And we start with him making a couple of rude jokes that both Buffy and Willow acknowledge um, by scolding yes. him mm-hmm. with his name like he's a dog. <laughs> Xander. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> you know, he's he's very cute in the way his pro Ted feelings come out. But I'm mm-hmm. really not a fan of him teasing Buffy about having parental issues. And yeah. then, mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned it when Ted shows up. In that moment that I so love as a variation on the he's right behind me, isn't he, gag? Right. Xander shifts gears so fast and we get entitled better than the girls, Xander. Yeah. Because Ted Mm -hmm. asks Buffy if she likes miniature golf. Xander doesn't wait for her to answer before saying, who doesn't? Um, Right. Because Mm -hmm. what he likes, of course, is the greatest and best thing. Buffy doesn't want to go. She looks to Willow. 
and Xander to remind them that we have that thing. We have to do that thing mm -hmm. that, I mean, guys, get a better excuse, really. Like, you're going to have to make Yeah, they need to work You need to there. work on your excuses. <laughs> then, then Willow's ready to side with Buffy about that. But Xander just makes the decision for all of them and tells Ted, we're on. And right. even the way he mm -hmm. says we're on is kind of manly man posturing. And then, of yes. course, we get to mm -hmm. the golf course and he's all, you know, many have come, few have conquered. His whole life. Right. It's like, oh, Xander, come on. I mean, yeah. really, mm -hmm. really now. Yeah. And his, his just complete lack of concern for Buffy and how she was feeling and not listening to her, I think, is is a little bit of that like bad Xander. I mean, it's. You know, I mean, I guess, yeah, it comes from an entitled place. Mm -hmm. I think that he is just very concerned with where his next mini pizza is yes. coming from, you know? <laughs> And uh, and and I think that for me, like that's cuter than the typical like entitled to women and their bodies and that kind of thing that you know we get from from Xander quite a bit. Um, so I mean, I I like we do get a mix, you know, we do get a mix here, and um, and where we've got where Ted is is toxic. Like as soon as Buffy is is really hurt by this guy, like you know Xander's on Buffy's side, he is completely there with her. Like you know, and I really really do like that and i love of course him with cordelia which is really oh my fun. god but um speaking of fun couples yes giles and jenny i love it so much they ship it so hard <laughs> Um, so I, I like this moment with Giles and Jenny, you know, when he goes in to check on her and he's so oh, sweet, man. you know, he's so concerned. He's so heartbroken. He's obviously feeling terrible. And, um, and she's kind of awful to him when she says, you know, you come in here with those sad puppy dog eyes. And I was like, wait a minute, honey, <laughs> that's Giles you're talking to <laughs> have some goddamn respect. You know? Um, so, I mean, but it is so like, it's, it's, it's such a heartbreaking moment. And when he, when he says, well, I really didn't mean to make, you know, dog eyes at you. Like he's so devastated by that. And it's so hard to watch. Um, but then like when she goes after him, I love that. I love when she goes to apologize because everybody, you know, you're, you're hurt, you're traumatized, you're feeling bad. Um, you know, it's, it's hard not to like, you know, lash out sometimes in those moments and she goes and she apologizes and, and that's when I'm like, okay, fine. All is forgiven, <laughs> I You didn't mean I to. I love it that. Hard, I, I love yeah. when he goes to, to the computer lab and there's this oh. sweet little, there's a little bit of music under and then it, it fades out and we play the whole scene in silence with no music and it's so perfect. Um, I yeah. actually don't think she's out of line with him. Yeah. Yeah, because she she says, I mean, she acknowledges it in the moment. She says, you make me feel bad that I don't feel better. And that rang very right. true mm -hmm. for me. She's being shitty to him because she feels shitty herself. Yeah. And mm -hmm. if he had just, I mean, she tells him in that moment what she needs, that she, she needs space. And if he had just mm -hmm. taken a step back, like literally taken a step back yeah. and taken his hands mm -hmm. out of his pockets and maybe opened his body posture a little bit more. I'm just like, oh, come on, Giles. Like, come on, Giles. You can do yeah. it. Like, you can do it, man. Um, You know, he doesn't, I, I, he doesn't acknowledge his part in all of this that she has said, like, look, I, I need space in it is hurtful mm -hmm. to me that you're checking on me. Like, I appreciate what you're doing. 
and yeah. it hurts. Um, but I'm just, I mean, I'm rooting for them so hard. Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and I love her following him to the park to apologize. Oh, I, I know. And I love when she shoots him with a crossbow. <laughs> and the tweed is better than Kevlar. <laughs> I know. They're so sweet. And I mean, you know, like, this is how you make a great couple. You make a great couple with people who work great yeah. together. You know, and they did. They worked great together to take out those vampires. <laughs> and then she takes them to the hospital, which is great because nobody ever gets taken to the hospital. It's about right. damn time, you know. <laughs> Um, and explaining the, the, you know, crossbow incident, yes. which, oh, I'm, sure, which I'm sure is not the first time that has happened at the, and often it's with couples coming in being like, you know, a little, a little bedroom play yeah. went bad. We're just, just saying. Just, there was a crossbow. It's, I mean, it was fine. a crossbow incident. It's fine. Thank God for all that tweed. Thank God for all that tweet. Yeah, I think it's really, really nice. And I also like that um, that kind of bookend we have where, you know, in the beginning, Buffy walks in on um, Ted and Joyce kissing. And then at the end, she's like, what do I got to do? Blow it. Air horn. You know? And it's Giles and Jenny. And it's so sweet. Ending the episode on the two of them kissing, just perfectly yeah. framed by the glass. I mean, full circle on relationships. It's so wonderful we know that everything yeah. is you know they're back together all is all is mm -hmm. right in jenny and giles land um yeah but of course we've also in that shot reestablished the idea of the couple in the buffy verse mm -hmm. you know it's not just yeah. that giles and jenny and their relationship are okay it's mm -hmm. after all of ted's abuse and i mean decades of it we find out the show needs to reestablish the norm of heterosexual romantic mm -hmm. pairing as non-toxic and desirable because yeah. we cannot mm -hmm. end. It would be unacceptable to end on the note of, hey, uh, maybe relationships are kind of bad and people shouldn't be in them because patriarchy, you know, or like whatever. Like you couldn't you couldn't end it there. It's got to be right. we need mm -hmm. to have we need to have a positive depiction of adult heterosexuality so that our young people <laughs> know to what to aspire. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I like the happy ending. Oh, I do too. I absolutely like it. But I, I just mean that, yeah. you know, lurking in that, you know, in, mm -hmm. in that image as our closing image for this yeah. episode in particular you can right. it's like right it's right like your mm -hmm. your heterocentrist heterosexist patriarchy is showing yeah yeah until they finally get some gay characters and then yeah. you know whatever well then, I, we'll but then you know later. everyone's doomed because relationships are the all worst. your gays must die right you know <laughs> but then but fair enough you know like in all fairness to joss whedon like he kills pretty much oh, yeah. everybody oh yeah you love someone <laughs> goodbye <laughs> right. are you i'm sorry were you happy that was your mistake that now the thing you love in the world most in the world that must was die. your first mistake um so one of the things that I wanted to talk about, though, is uh, is this idea of power and responsibility, right? We, you know, we have this classic line from Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility, yes. you know? Um, and that is a theme that whenever you have a powered individual in a story, you know, their responsibility becomes greater. And we see this this point with Cordelia, right? <laughs> Where we have Cordelia, of course, saying the, the thing that... 
you know, is, is highly inappropriate and which also triggered my, a different kind of PTSD for me because she was like, well, shouldn't the rules be different, you know, for Buffy? And then, you know, because she's powered and she's special. And then Willow's like, yeah, and a fascist society. Why can't we have one of those? Okay. Right. Great. All my PTSD, yeah. all in one episode. It's all there. Um, <laughs> you know, and, but we're talking about like things that Buffy is is not expecting special treatment because she's powered, but she is taking on special responsibility. You know, she's, I'm the slayer. I had no business yeah. hitting him like that. He was just a human, you know. But this comes on the heels of him striking her hard enough to like knock her yeah. down and holding his own with her. I mean, he was... He was super powered in that moment, too, because no other, like, regularly human... And we see Giles when they're practicing, and he's covered in, like, protective gear, you know, hurting after Buffy has taken a whack at him, you know? Um, so the idea that this guy... And, I, I, you know, in the moment, of course, she believes him to be human. She's not analyzing why is he so strong, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but he is he is given as good as he gets, you know, until she knocks him down the stairs and, you know, obviously, like, you know, shakes his battery loose or something, and that's, like, death for the robot. Um but it it is interesting that she's you know she has this sense of deep responsibility you know as being the slayer you know um and but he hit her first he gave as good as he got he was you know twice her size um should buffy feel guilty in this situation yeah, i don't know i don't know yeah. i don't like it's one of those moments where She's so she's at school. She's so distressed. She mm-hmm. says, I had no right to hit yeah. him that way. And I feel for her in both ways because he did hit yeah. her first. Yeah. And and, and yeah. hard and is twice her size and held his own. I mean, he would have if she hadn't stopped him, he would have seriously hurt yeah. her. That was self-defense. I mean, she thinks he's human, but she also had the experience. Yeah. Of him hitting her that way. You know, I mean, hard enough. Like, she's the slayer. This girl can take a punch. We see vampires hit her all the time. I mean, granted, she's more prepared for them mm-hmm. to hit her than she was for Ted. He obviously caught her by surprise. Um, but, yeah, no, it was... Uh, I-, I wasn't sure that that guilt was necessarily... Like, I think that there were mitigating factors there. It wasn't just the slayer hitting a yeah. human. Yeah, you know? but I do think it's noteworthy that she feels the weight of that that despite everything that she's experienced from ted and how horrible Mm -hmm. he is to her that she can still feel that weight of having having wronged him i mean i think that's huge for her as as a hero character Right. Well, I think that when you t- when you have power, any kind of power, it is very important to take that power seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, it is very important to understand what your power is um, and to use it well and thoughtfully, yeah. you know, and with with consideration. Um, so I think that that's really important. I think it's important to ask those questions. I'm just not entirely sure. Like, I also we know she's he's a robot. She doesn't. She thinks he's just like a really super strong yeah. human guy, you know. Um, but he he hit her and he held up. You know, she didn't hit him once and, and he was knocked out. You know, I mean, she hit him a number of times and he took yeah. those punches and he was fine until he went down the stairs. Um, so I don't know. Like, I, I, I 
I think it's right that she feel her responsibility. But at the same time, I think there's definitely, even if he was human, mitigating factors in the way that that played out. I mean, that was self-defense. But we have this line from Giles, too, where he says she's taken a human life. The guilt is pretty hard to bear and it won't go away soon. Mm -hmm. Right. So Giles, I think as a watcher, we're going to see this happen in season three with Faith. Right. He's going to talk at that point about how Slayer's killing humans happens. Accidents happen in the field. You know, things happen. It does, you know, occur. And that the watchers kind of have a a method for dealing with this kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's, uh, it's interesting, like Giles perspective on this feels informed from experience, you know, and of course, Cordelia has that great line. Oh, yeah. And you should know because that time you raised the demon that killed that guy, right? (laughs) He's like, yes, let's do bring that up as often as possible. (laughs) Well, and it's interesting, too, about Buffy killing a human, because wasn't it just last episode that she kills the guy or maybe it's episode before the guy from the Order of Taraka? Was he a yeah, was he a human? I, don't, I mean, we never... We're not sure. He was an assassin, and some of them are human. I mean, Giles said, some of them are supernatural, some of them are right. human. But they are highly trained assassins, and he was trying to kill her. But how different is that situation from this yeah. one? Because she... That guy was trying to kill her. She killed him first. That's self-defense. It's clear, right? With this... Ted was hitting her really super hard, you know, hard enough to, to like knock her down. And she is the slayer. Um, and her intent was not to kill him. Her intent was to, you know, stop him. But also like she was also working out her mm-hmm. anger on him. Like, and I think that's where she felt that guilt is that she wasn't just trying to defend herself. She was trying yeah. to hurt him because she hated him. Well, and you that know? was a serious violation yeah. even before he yeah. strikes her. I mean, the way he speaks to her yeah. and then to be sitting in her room in the dark, like, is that not the Going most... Going through her things, gross... violating her privacy. Yeah. Yeah. But to be yeah. sitting there, like, waiting for... <laughs> That's the yeah. thing that just gets me. But him in that circumstance, you know, I could see... Like Joyce discovering that Buffy's been sneaking out, um, you know, seeing blood on the clothing, seeing like, you know, paying attention to all of these things that, that have paying been going the on, all the injuries that she sustains on a regular basis, yeah. right? You know, grades dropping, all that kind of stuff. I could see Joyce saying, you know, we need to talk. But I think they also you go through personal stuff as the absolute last resort. That happens after you've looked at everything, after you've tried to get them to talk to you, after you've done like a million other things, brought them to therapy, whatever, like that's a, a last resort kind of thing, um, you know, but but I could see Joyce doing that and being like, what's going on? Like, I'm really worried about you. You're in danger. Yeah. You know, um, Ted is so overstepping. He is not the parent. Yeah. You know, um, he is overstepping from the moment he gets in there, you know. Um, and so, like, it is creepy in a million it's different so ways creepy. and wrong in every way. It's so creepy. He's so, mm-hmm. he's so creepy. And again, like, I just love it. Like, I love how well it works. It works for me. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting that, that you mentioned you know, you do, you might go through your child's personal things if you were truly concerned about their safety. Yeah. At 
the dinner table, Buffy says when when Ted says, how would you feel about that if your mother and I got married? And Buffy says, I feel like killing myself. And mm-hmm. Joyce scolds her. That was yeah. the, that was the point at which I was like, all right, I am I'm like done. And again, I know Joyce yeah. is under the influence of whatever, you know, drugs and God mm-hmm. knows what else Ted has been doing to her. But that I mean, that is fucking serious. If somebody has yeah. any sort of God, even even, you know, entertaining thoughts of suicide mm-hmm. or wishing that they were not there or wanting to die that is mm-hmm. possibly the most serious thing your child could say mm-hmm. and for Joyce yeah. to be angry and to send Buffy to her room mm-hmm. in that moment just feels like such a huge betrayal and then of course of course Ted says you know we leave that scene with Ted saying oh she'll come around and the next yeah. shot, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give just a little trigger warning here for for suicide. Um, mm-hmm. He says she'll be, you know, she'll be fine. She'll come around. And the next shot, we see Buffy's feet sort of swaying a few inches mm-hmm. above the grass. And of course, then we pan up, and she's at the the park. She's sitting on a park mm-hmm. swing. But it's this for a split second. We get an image of a. Oh my body. god. Oh my god, I didn't even put that together, but you're absolutely right. And it's just I mean, it's a really, really chilling yeah. indication of her seriousness, but also And that is a very yeah. deliberate a kind of imagery. I can't imagine they oh, did that god, accidentally. No, of course they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. To I'm so I'm I'm so furious with Joyce in that yeah. moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. oh, it's it's that that is very very upsetting to me. Yeah, it really is. And all the stuff with Joyce yeah. I can't. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's not good. So then of course, you know, then of course Buffy comes home and he's in her room yeah. and it's just like this. It's just violation on top of violation on top of violation. Mm-hmm. But Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's pretty it's pretty pretty awful. All right, so um, Noel, what are you wearing this week? <laughs> I really wanted to have more to say about clothing in this episode. Like, I yeah. really, really mm-hmm. did. Um, we get Joyce and Ted in opposite color wheel colors at the mm-hmm. at mini golf. I mean, and of course, Willow's personal sense of style continues to grow and evolve and I just love it I love oh I love she has another cool hat her I want to knit all the her little bucket hat at the beginning is so cute that I just want to knit all the willow hats I think I'm gonna go look for like willow hat willow hat um um patterns on the internet and see what I can find fantastic idea I love that um but of course, and then when Buffy is is depressed, she shows up at school in her baggy overalls and her she's yeah. hiding mm-hmm. in her clothes. She's wearing her black yeah. shirt and her baggy mm-hmm. overalls and she's got her hair on a low ponytail, um, yeah. which is a totally legitimate style choice. I actually really love that look. But I do like the yeah. way Buffy's mm-hmm. appearance kind of ebbs and flows with her mood and how she's feeling about yeah. herself moving through mm-hmm. the world. Um I'm mm-hmm. sure, I'm sure there are people who have charted that 
across seasons. Yeah. You know, how, how you know, what oh, Buffy sure. is wearing versus how she's feeling emotionally or how mm-hmm. she is experiencing mm-hmm. herself as part of the world or not, you know, disconnected from mm-hmm. the world. But I really wanted Ted's clothes to seem more dated, maybe. I don't know. I mean, they didn't seem dated. I mean, too. they seemed dated, but I couldn't tell. He felt very 1950s yeah, I mean, to me. Yeah. He was wearing pleated pants, which I guess are back. <laughs> Those pleated uh, pants uh, that are so uh, dated that no one who wears them should be dated. That's just my aesthetic. If you love pleated <laughs> pants, get down with your bad self. <laughs> I love you. But, oh my, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what, it, but again, like, I don't know what I was looking for. Like, I don't know what I expected yeah. him mm-hmm. to be. Bowling right, shirts. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't have a lot to say about the fashion this week. Although that in the, the dinner table scene, Joyce looks real pretty. I know she got dressed up for yeah. Ted and that's icky, but she like they, they made Christine Sutherland, who is a lovely, lovely woman, look especially lovely yes. in that scene. And I'm here yes. for that. Yeah, no, they do great things. There. The the dress that she's wearing um, in the um, in the moment that she's uh, she's with Ted, she they're kissing in the in the yes. kitchen when Buffy catches mm-hmm. them. The dress that she's wearing is actually altered a bit and reused in uh, her last. I think it's her last scene in uh, season um, five before the oh body, when um, when she's uh, she's going out on a date and she's like twirling for Dawn and Buffy. Oh, you know, um, no. so it's a, it's a variation. They they altered that dress a little bit and then um, and then had her in that dress. And uh, so I saw that dress and I was like, oh, my God, you know, just completely brought me back to that because that's like Joyce being happy and going out on a date with somebody, you know, right before, of course, she she dies because Joyce, you were happy. That was your mistake. Mm -hmm. Yep. Don't be happy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what do you got for Arg the Patriarchy this week? Oh, my God. I have, I mean, basically Mm -hmm. the whole, the whole Ted robot situation, right? You know, I don't take orders from women. Don't I always tell you what Mm -hmm. to do? Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, but it is it is textually yeah. wrong. Like it's our oh, totally. villain, you know. I think the patriarchy is most dangerous when it's delivered with a spoonful of Xander, yes. um, <laughs> you know, and being all like, "Oh, isn't he cute?" Boys oh, yeah. boys. So at least, at least, it was called out as yeah. being bad. Yeah, so that's that's a couple oh, of yeah. points for us. Yeah, you know? I mean, our monster, mm-hmm. like our monster of the week this week is the patriarchy. Yeah. It's not the penis demon money mm-hmm. snake. It's a different kind of. It's- it's a different kind of patriarchy, a related patriarchy. Also in the basement, uh-huh. patriarchy is in the basement. It is in our subconscious. It's underneath yep. everything mm-hmm. we do. Super, super creepy. Along with the moldering bodies of the women. Yes, right, the women claims. who are victims yeah. of mm-hmm. the patriarchy. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the women who vote for the patriarchy. Oh, Jesus. Okay. God. Anyway. Oh, God. So there, there's... There are several pop cultural references in this episode, uh-huh. like there are in most episodes of Buffy, but especially Joss Whedon written episodes because he loves to do that thing. I this is this is related to the patriarchy, so bear with me. Uh-huh. The Thelma and Louise call out at the end. Aha. Uh-huh. Thelma and Louise has a reputation for being this feminist icon of a movie, mm-hmm. and I don't know. But I feel like this is an interesting reference here. So real quick, 
For those of you who haven't seen the movie, Thelma and Louise is about two friends who plan a short weekend trip that turns into a run from the law when Louise shoots and kills a man who tries to rape Thelma outside a bar. Now, Louise decides to run to Mexico rather than go to the police. (laughs) And Thelma, whose husband is the definition of patriarchal bullshit, decides to join her. And they have some adventures and kick some ass along the way. But ultimately, they choose to die at the end rather than surrender to the police. Yeah. And that is pretty fucking grim. I mean, so these are these are the choices that women have. Yes. The only way to empower yourself is to kill yourself because at least you choose how you go. Right. I mean, turn yeah. yourself into the law who will probably side with your rapist, which is oh, Louise's. Sure. I mean, that's Louise's, where's your proof. Right. Yeah. What were you well, wearing? That's exactly what Louise says. I mean, she says no one's going to believe that. Thelma says we go to the police. We tell them the truth. And she says, oh, who's going to believe that? Yeah. Because you were dancing together all night. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, so you can turn yourself into the law, which will side with your rapist, or you can die. Yeah. And this is the movie that <laughs> that Buffy and her mother have been watching. Yes. <laughs> in the aftermath of the Ted scenario. And I'm just right. like, wow, that's wow. Right. right. I, okay. I mean, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I think it I think it predates Kill Bill. So yes, <laughs> <laughs> so their options were limited. But, um... <laughs> All right. So what is Ooh. your girl power moment of the week? Oh, my God. I love that Buffy isn't afraid of Ted. I love that mm-hmm. she's angry. She's not yeah. she's not scared. She knows that her her rights have been violated um, right from the get-go, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when she stabs him with that nail file with her mm-hmm. perfectly manicured hand, it is fantastic. <laughs> right. But then I think I think my my be all end all of girl power moments is her hitting him with the cast iron skillet, mm-hmm. which of course is the same one he used to yeah. make those fucking mini pizzas. <laughs> right. Although, you know, it did sound good. It really did. <laughs> I was like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. I have the cast iron skillet. (laughs) I do, too. And I'm like, oh, yeah, some herbs and olive oil. Yeah, I can. There you go. (laughs) All right, Sinoel, what's your favorite part this week? My favorite part is Giles yanking the crossbow bolt out of his back and staking the vampire with it. I mean, hell yeah. Rupert Giles, yeah. badass. He is a badass. I, I mean, he love like, I, everything uh, Giles in this episode is my favorite thing. He's wonderful. Like, everything Giles. Um, you know, I love I love when Jenny shoots him with a crossbow. I think that's hilarious. But like, I love when he went to Jenny and he was trying to, you know, to like check in on her and he cared so much and he was so hurt. And Anthony Stewart Head is amazing. He does amazing work with Giles. I loved his, um, his ability to stay reasonable and calm in the face of what happened to Buffy and completely on her side. Um, You know, I loved when he and Jenny were working together to kill those vampires, like everything Rupert Giles is just, it delighted me in this episode. And I forget that it's acting with Anthony Stewart had so often. I forget that he was given, like he was given a script that told him what to say and probably where to stand. And I just like, he just is Giles. 
Yeah, no, he's amazing as Giles. And especially when you think of like the bulk of the dialogue that he gets is this expositional dialogue, which is the worst. (laughs) I mean, it has to be done. It's a necessary evil. But he is able to deliver everything you know, no matter how, like, you know, kind of like dry and, you know, phlebotonous it is. And that's not a word, but the, they, they use the word <laughs> on Buffy called phlebotonous. Whenever they had like an element that they needed that was just a, a plot device, they would call it phlebotonum. You know, phlebotonum. They would call it phlebotonum. And so because of that, I may just leave all that in. Um, I'm struggling with that word because it's not good. Um but because of that, it's like I have this phlebotonous, you know, kind of like, you know, that that's what the, the exposition is, is it's phlebotonous. It's full of stuff that doesn't really mean anything, but we have to have it so that we can explain the why and move on, you know, the why or the how or the what or whatever. Um, and so when he's given the phlebotonous dialogue, like all of the stuff that he has to do is so dry and yet he manages to imbue it with with whatever the emotional impact of that entire episode is, and he will pull it in to that expositional dialogue. That is so hard to do, and he makes it look easy, and it's unbelievable. He is so good. I think that, like, honestly, (laughs) you know, anybody who doubts it should just go through, find some of the Giles phlebotonist stuff. (laughs) <laughs> find it in a script on the internet and just try reading it in any way that even even go ahead and and try to mimic what Anthony Stewart head does with it like you can't it's you know he's amazing he's just wonderful I love Anthony Stewart head I love Giles he is my heart's delight and so I was so happy with all the Giles stuff in this episode and now I know what we're doing at the top of the show every week Ooh, Giles lines. Giles lines. Oh my god, that would be hilarious. I love it. There is no way. Only we need people Anthony to call Stewart. into the voicemail. And oh, and read, read the us Giles, Giles stuff. lines. That'd be so great. That'd be so great. <laughs> That's it for today. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Noella Loud and use the hashtag StillPretty. You can also visit the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on forum, and join in the fun. Or you can keep Chipperish Media going to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat and Discord where you can hang out with me and Noelle and all the Chipperish patrons who have to sound an air horn every time they walk into a room. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support by giving Still Pretty a fabulous review on Apple Podcasts or by telling your friends about the show, or by hitting an evil robot in the face with a cast iron skillet. But make sure he's evil first. I'm just kidding. All robots are evil. We will be back next time with Bad Eggs, the 12th episode of season two. Until then, we can rent a movie. Just make sure it doesn't have horror in it, or romance, or men. Jenny follows him to the park to apologize for being mean to him earlier, but a vampire interrupts. Do- Wait, I don't think it's the park. I think it's the graveyard. It is, is the, it park. the park. Yeah, it's the park. There's Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I thought I fucked that up, but I guess not. Nope. <laughs> nope. You had it as the graveyard and I edited it.
You had a oh, good, thank you. <laughs> I fixed this. Yeah, she shoots him in the side too, not in the butt. I was kind of hoping it was oh, the butt. But... She shot him in the ass. No, it's the side. It's his side because he reaches around to his side and pulls out the oh. arrow and stakes the vampire with it. It's amazing. It's close enough to the ass. All right, that's all right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. That's all right. Just being all like you know specific and accurate, whatever. <laughs> if that's if that's your personal style, Noel, I mean, oh! I will respect that. <laughs> I prefer to be flashy and inaccurate. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm filing that away. That's going on your tombstone. <laughs> right. <laughs> Here lies Lonnie Tyrich, flashy and inaccurate. <laughs> Either that or in quotation marks. Trust me, it'll be fun. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think that should be I it. think that's it. I think we got it. Uh, uh, <laughs> trust, trust me, me it'll, it'll be, be fun. fun. <laughs> <laughs>